Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. We've been doing uh, this series we call the Pew to, from the Pew to the Pulpit over the last month. And this is the last day that we're going to be doing that. We have, uh, I've been blessed significantly from the, the men that have come up and, and shared and opened their hearts up. Um, I know a lot of people here have. We really appreciate that, first of all. Um, so as we we're thinking about that, we got Phil Ignis coming up. And <clears throat> Phil's going to go ahead. He's going to share the word with us. Um, and uh, before we get too far into it, let's go ahead and just pray for Phil. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Phil. We thank you for his heart. Lord, we pray that you would speak through him this morning. Lord, calm his nerves. Um, open our hearts to hear what he has to say. Uh, in your name I pray. Amen. Oh, just, just a little nervous. Um, you know, the Lord answers prayer. Sometimes he gives you what you want and I was praying for him to come back sometime before today. He d- did not answer that one. I was like, even, even after worship would be okay. Still, no. So, um, so nervous. It's been like 15 years speaking um, in front of a, a group like this. So, uh, forgive me. And uh, I, I just pray that the Lord would speak the words that you need to hear. Um, with this message, I, I'm, I'm praying that it would not be, that you would not go home and say that was a good or bad sermon, but it would be, um, man, the Lord had this word for me. So I, I'm, I'm going to challenge you to hear something from the Lord in this message. Um, I heard that the secret to a good sermon is to have a good beginning, a good ending, and then having the two as close as possible. That's what I'm going to go for, having it as close as possible. I only have about an hour's worth of material here, so cancel your lunch plans. Um, We're going to look at Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Give you a minute to get there. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James, so it might be just a couple words different. But uh, and he also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray: one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself: God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What do you think of when you hear the word Pharisee? 
what are your first thoughts? What, what comes to mind? Is it scriptures that you've read about Pharisees? Is it rebukes? Um, what is the first thing? When you hear Pharisee, does anybody think of anything good? No? It's interesting because kind of looking into the, the historical context of Pharisees, they actually meant really well. Um, but what we think about is like in Matthew 23 that talks about whitewashed tombs, you vipers, you know, uh, blind guides, hypocrites, self-indulgent. The Pharisee comes from the Hebrew word, and I'm not Hebrew, so forgive me, Farash, P-H-A-R-A-S-H, which signifies to set apart. They separated themselves from their countrymen and from national corruption to restore and to practice the pure worship of the Most High. That was their goal. They wanted to be separate from all that was corrupt so that they can restore the pure practice of the worship of the Most High. Sounds pretty good, right? Here were some of the things that they believed. They believed in the inspiration of God's Word. They believed in the Torah. They believed in the prophets. They believed in angels and demons and the supernatural. They believed in atonement. They believed in fasting and prayer. They believed in the coming of the Messiah. They believed in witnessing and conversion. They believed that God was the almighty ruler. And they believed in giving and sacrificing for him. Sounds pretty good, right? If I were to mention someone to you who believed in the inspiration of God's word, and believed in giving and sacrifice and witnessing and fasting, believed in angels, believed in, in all that right there, you would probably think he was a believer, right? Probably. See, that was their history, but by the time, they, they were there about 150 years before Christ, but by the time it had got down to Christ, it was all merely external. And that's where we read a lot of the rebukes. It was, it was all merely uh, an outward facade. They were fundamental in their theology, evangelistic in their zeal, premillennial in their hope, devout in their practice, and sincere in their beliefs. But Jesus in Matthew 5.20 says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I imagine being a normal person sitting on the hill, listening to Jesus speak the Sermon of the Mount, and hearing that and thinking, what hope is there for us? What hope is there for me? More than that? I can't do more than that. They fasted twice a week. Why? Mondays and Thursdays. Thursdays because that was the day they believed that Moses went up and got the law. Monday was when he came down with the law. They fasted twice a week. And then other fastings. They gave a tenth of everything they had. They were always sacrificing, always praying. I wouldn't think, I can't do that. I can't be that guy like they can. But that's the requirement. Unless your righteousness exceeds that, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. There would have been no hope for me. But when you study, when you study their righteousness... It's something that, that they could be accomplished by effort, will, and strength. It could be naturally produced. This was something 
that they could will themselves to do. They can force themselves to not eat. They can force themselves to give what, you know, everything that they got, a tithe of it. They can force themselves to go out there and pray. This could all be conjured up in their own strength. But something you can't do is make yourself whole. Can't do it. The leper is a picture of the sinner in, in the New Testament. And something, they could do whatever they wanted. They could, they could fast and they can pray and they can, you know, give and they could have all these great things that make them look so religious. But the one thing they couldn't do was get rid of that disease. They can't make themselves whole. They could make themselves clean. They had to come from someone else, right? It had to come from someone else. Couldn't be in their own strength. And when Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness exceeds that, he's saying it has to be something more than just from you. It has to come from outside of you. That's where it has to come from. When you look at this parable, you see two men, two contrasting men. You got the man who's up here, who's feels so close to God, looks great, you know, looks holy, separate. He's apart from the other guy. And he's like, God, I thank you that I haven't, I'm not like these other men. Now, it's interesting, he does thank God that he's better than other men, right? It's not like, he's not like, I made myself better. But he's, he's like, God, thank you that I'm not like extortioners and people who rob and take stuff by force. And I'm not an adulterer and... I'm not even like this tax collector, this trader here. Thank you for that. And then he lists, and then he goes on to list the, some of his accomplishments. This is what I sacrifice. I, I, I tithe a tenth of everything I got. I, I'm, I'm fasting twice a week. You should be happy that I'm on your team. Right? You should be happy that you got me. And then you see the, the, the tax collector who won't even, won't even look up to heaven. Won't even... Pick up his eyes. He's, he's so grieved over his sin, he just beats his breast and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. I got, I got nothing else, right? There's nothing good in me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. There's not anything in myself that I can, I can claim for my righteousness. The reason I picked this, because we were supposed to share some of our testimony, and it, it, it reminded me the more, I used to hate the Pharisees, right? They're like, oh, them guys. They're so horrible. Hypocrites they are. I'm not like that man. You know? <laughs> totally, that was me. And so I remember um, when, I, when I look back, that was always my, my thought back, like when I'm like 19, 20, I'm in this Christian college group called Master's Commission, and I'm like thinking, I am like, God is lucky to have me on his team. He is. And... Uh, and, and I'm like, man, I'm going to be so used by God to bring the nation to its knees. I'll be that guy. Probably better than Billy Graham, you know, maybe. And, and when I would look back, it was like I had this thought that, that I was, God made me so that I could be like that guy. Like I could be this, this amazing whatever, whatever, preacher, evangelist, whatever it was. Um, and, I, and I really would compare myself with other people. And I would, of course, have to come out ahead, you know? I mean, because they're either on my level or beneath me, but they can't be above me, you know? 
And that was my, that was my mindset. And, and it wasn't like I would voice that often. Um, no, the reason I say often, I had this guy come up to me, and he was a first year, and I was a second year. So I thought, of course, I know everything because I'm a second year. Like, I'm 20. I shouldn't, I know it all. And he's like, and so I'm like correcting him at something, and he's like, but you're my brother in the faith. And I was like, no, I'm your second year in the faith, you know? And then I'm your brother, but I'm your second. I, I swear, true story, true story. That's horrible, but that's true. Um, but that was, that was my mindset was I, I didn't, I wouldn't have said it really often. I wouldn't have said it. But if, if I were to tape my mouth shut and my heart would have been exposed, that would have been the motive. It would have been that I can produce this great thing. Um, I wouldn't have said I was justified by faith. I would have said that was Jesus Christ and him crucified. I would have said I was sanctified by myself. I was kept by myself. I wouldn't have said justified by myself, but I would have said I I kept myself. If you ask me why I was still a Christian, it would have been because I prayed an hour a day, and I read the Bible, and I witnessed, and I was you know, fasting once a week, we had to fast. And it was like all these things that we did. And that's why, in a sense, I I thought this is why I'm still a believer is this is why because of myself. I wouldn't have said that, but that was my heart. I would have said I was sanctified because of prayer, Bible reading, witnessing, devotion to God. And what I just named were a lot of the things I named for Pharisees, right? Those were a lot of the same things, the same list, very devout, very focused. That was what I placed my confidence in. What are some of the things that people place their confidence in for salvation? I just wrote down a few. I'm sure you can think of some, probably more on this list. Um, Education, intelligence, uh, their birth heritage, who their parents were, what kind of family they came out of, uh, money, wealth, skill, talents, um, religion, the right church, um, a club or a group, actions, works, their theology. A lot of people will place salvation in some of these, but they wouldn't say it. I, I was thinking about this, like, I wonder if our mouths were shut for a week but somebody who just were to follow us, what would they think that you place your salvation in? Would they see Christ, that he's the only thing you place your full trust in, or would they see something else? Would there be, you know, a person, or would it be on your works? What, what, would, your, what would your salvation be if you could not speak for a week, and they followed you around every minute of the day, what would, what would they say about you? That was, that was kind of what I was thinking about with myself, challenging myself. What would somebody say about me while I'm at work, while I'm with my family, while I'm by myself? What would they say? What would they say about you? Confidence is defined as full trust, belief in the powers, trustworthiness, or the reliability of a person or a thing. Paul talks about confidence in the flesh in Philippians 3. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, probably be up there because you're awesome. Thanks for that. A little background. Um, Paul's talking to the Philippians, 
And he's warning them that just like when he did with the Galatians, he's warning them that there's these Judaizers that are going in there and preaching, okay, faith in Jesus was okay to begin with, but here's what you need to do. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law. That's how you continue in the faith. No other way. Can't just say Jesus Christ and his, you know, on the cross and believe in that. Got to be more. And you got to be evident by an outward sign and some other outward signs. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 4, Paul says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Let me stop here. So here's a few things that Paul lists of why he would have confidence to boast above others. He was circumcised on the eighth day in accordance, exact compliance with the law. He wasn't a convert that, you know, had got circumcised some other time. He uh, wasn't sick on that day. Sometimes they would delay it if, you know, something was up with the baby and he was sick. They would maybe delay. No, he was in exact compliance. So he, hey, nailed that one, checked that one off. Of the stock of Israel, he descended from the patriarch Jacob. He could trace his genealogy back as far as any Jew. This was a big deal. Some people didn't know where they were from, or they might have been, you know, kind of mixed like Samaritans. They might have had some Gentile blood in them. They might have been from Esau, an Edomite. So this was like a really big deal. Of the tribe of Benjamin, I thought this was cool. The tribe of Benjamin was one of the two tribes out of the 12. They were one of the, one of the only two that didn't rebel under Jeroboam, where the other 10 left and, and revolted, they rebelled. These two stayed. So he could almost say, I'm of the tribe that doesn't revolt. I'm of the true tribe that doesn't rebel. That was like another thing he could put on his list. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. Both parents were Hebrew. No mixture. He was a Pharisee. We've already talked about this. He says, concerning the law of Pharisee. Like I said, there were three different groups. There was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and some E-word that I'm going to jack up. Essence, I don't, something like that. It's like, I tried to listen to it on YouTube, how to pronounce it, and I'm like, I'm going to forget that immediately. I know that. So these three, these three groups... Um, that E-word, we'll call it the E-word, they, they were like Jewish monks. They stayed away from everybody. That was like their retirement. This is, they just spent time away in a retirement place with the Lord. But that's theirs. They were, they were like just away there. Then you had the Sadducees who were like the liberals of the day kind of thing. They just, you know, didn't really believe in the afterlife, didn't believe in the supernatural, but hey, we're here. Let's try to make it better while we're here. Then you have the Pharisees, strict down to the letter, man. They were like to the T. They right on point with anything that was in the law, with the 613 laws of the Torah, and then the multiple hundreds and thousands of laws of the, uh, the oral tradition that they also picked up in the commentaries on how to follow those laws in the Torah. They were on it with everything. So they were very strict. So concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He said, I was so zealous for God and his word that I would not let anything I thought 
that was a danger or a hindrance, I would remove that obstacle. So he would persecute the church, throw them in jail, beat them. When they were going to kill him, he would cast his vote to kill him. right? This is Saul. This is who we read. He was so zealous that he would travel to other cities. Oh, I heard that there might be some Christians out there. I need to go there and get them. Bring them back. Throw them in jail. This is how passionate he was. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Nobody could accuse him of not following the law. That's kind of a special thing to think like, he so lived it in accordance with what he believed the law was saying that you couldn't even accuse him at one point of not following that. Like, he wasn't just some guy that was like, yeah, that's cool, man, I guess I'll follow today. No, he, every day, all day, at all points. But what does he say in verse 7? But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Verse 8. But indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. I actually like this version better on this one. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage, dung. In order that I may gain Christ. All these things that were the advantage that he could boast on, were the same things that he just says right now, they weren't an advantage, they were a hindrance. They were a disadvantage because it was easy for me to trust in them instead of trusting in Christ. And a lot of times in, in our lives, if we're not careful, we can start to find things that we may be boasting in instead of just boasting in Christ. It's very easy to, especially if you're a very active person in the faith and in the church, it's it, the temptation if you, you're not careful, is to start to move from Christ to Christ and what I'm doing for him, to placing trust in that. It's very, it's very easy to do that. But there's another part of this that I, I want to talk about really quick. I'm, I think I'm doing okay in time. I'm trying to go fast. I, seriously, it was like an hour yesterday. I was like, i got to make this shorter. Um, when, in Alabama... I went down there when I was in Masters, and it only snowed one time in three years. And it was like a dusting, right? Like, it was like nothing. And I remember that they called us, and they said, don't come in till like 10, 11 o'clock when it warms up and the snow goes away. And I'm like, this is a joke. This has got to be a joke. <laughs> really? Now, I lived on a mountain, so I wasn't going to come down either way. I mean, mine was like crazy up and down the hill I was on, but... When I would get out on the main road, so at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whatever time it was, we were coming in. It was like a half day. I, I thought it was awesome. So we're coming in, and this road doesn't have curbs. So it's, it's, it's like your country road. It's just your, your two-lane road there, a ditch, ditch. And as I'm coming in, and I swear I'm not exaggerating, it, it, it wasn't even farther than, I don't know, maybe from, not even from, from Ridge to 45th, not even that far. And there were like three different cars in the ditch. And I was like, you idiots, you should have stayed home. Like, maybe you didn't catch that memo. Um, no, it really, because they just, that, they don't have salt. They, don't, they try to put sand down, which is good for like the first car, and then it's done. 
But there was three cars in the ditch. And, and whenever I think of the Christian life, that picture comes to me. Is this Christian walk that we're on, it's walking in the Spirit, it's placing trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're not careful, you can go to one side or the other. You can go to confidence in yourself and legalism and works and what I do, or you can go to the other side and just kind of be complacent, don't really have to push anymore. Hey, Jesus did it all. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to press. I don't have to, you know, dig into the word. I mean, why? He did it all. He'll just tell me like when I'm sleeping or something, right? Like, just keep doing the work. Just keep doing it while I'm knocked out. It's, it's very easy, seriously, to go from one side or the other. And, and a lot of times, at least in my life, I don't find myself with the temptation of, of legalism and, and that anymore. I find myself on the other side. It's like, we were at a, our date for eight, had amazing hosts. They're not here. We were at our date for eight, and we were talking about, like, gifts and kind of what the Lord has put in our hearts and what, you know, what he's called us to type stuff. And, uh, and uh, so that was a good conversation. A couple days later, I'm walking on the trail. And the question that the Lord kept asking me was, what is my passion? What is my desire what am I passionate about? Sports, love sports. I do. Big Chicago fan. But what else am I passionate about? Am I passionate about the things of God, really? Or am I on cruise control? And, and when I look at my life, if I'm being honest, more or less, I'm on cruise control. And that was something that as I'm walking, I'm like, man, it's so easy that I didn't want to be the other guy to find myself on this side veering off into this ditch. So I'll ask you guys, what about you? What are you passionate about? What, what are you doing with what the Lord has put in you? If you keep going, there's a couple more verses, and I'm almost done. Awesome. Good time. Um, I thought it was so cool that Paul had not only had a vision of Christ, because one vision alone, I don't think, can keep you going all the time. But when you keep seeking the Lord, and he continues to show himself in more and new ways, you can't help but get hooked, right? And this is, this is uh, go ahead and go to 12, verse 12. This is what he said. He said, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ had made me his own. Go ahead, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider to have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Jesus Christ. I press on. I press on. He was so passionate. I want to read this small little list in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there real quick. But I, I thought of what keeps a man, what keeps a man going through this? What drives him through this? Is it just self-will? Because I don't think it is. 
Are they ministers of Christ? This is 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. I speak as a fool, I am more. In laborers more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with the rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Day and night I have been in deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and besides other things upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. What keeps a man through that? What keeps a man? Is it just because he's devout in his faith? No. Is it just his will to muscle through it? No. There has to be a revelation of Jesus Christ. There has to be a new revelation of who he is, that he is everything and the only thing. I love that last song we sang. Love that chorus. He is everything. He is the only thing. Our confidence is not in our flesh. It's not in who we are and how amazing we can be. It's not in how we were born. It's not in anything but Jesus Christ and the cross. That is our only confidence. That's it. And that better drive us to seek him more. Let it, let it put a hunger and a passion to call out to him more. Let that revelation drive us to see him. That's my challenge. That's my challenge, and I made it under 30 minutes. That was my goal. It seriously was my goal under 30 minutes. When you're taking communion, when you're thinking about these elements, reaffirm to the Lord, this is my confidence. This is my confidence. Not in my strength. Not in my will, in his broken body, in the blood that covers our sin. That's my confidence. That's your confidence in that. And, and maybe you're like me, where you kind of feel like, man, I've taken my foot off the pedal. Taken my foot off of seeking him as much as I should be. Reaffirm that today. Reaffirm that to Christ. I don't know if you guys are going to sing or not. I don't know what's going on. But if they do, if they don't, whatever. But if they do, (laughs) reaffirm that. Reaffirm that to the Lord. Reaffirm that. Get back on that little two-lane road. Stay on that road. Walk in the Spirit. It's it's amazing. I love the verse in, in Galatians 5 when it says, And those who walk in the Spirit shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And for those who walk in the Spirit, there is no law. Walk in the Spirit. Know Christ. Seek Him. Be passionate about Him.